Good morning and greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. <clears throat> Don't think it's been mentioned yet this morning, but what's today? Thank you. Today is Father's Day, a day that our nation is set aside to honor fathers. Have you ever thought about the fact that our nation, or maybe I should say our society, that has done so much to break down the family and to destroy the role of the father in the home is the nation that has set aside a day of the year to honor fathers? Fathers have a very important role in the home. And their faithfulness or their lack of faithfulness to their God-ordained responsibilities has a tremendous impact on the home, on society, and upon the church. This morning I have felt led to consider the responsibilities of a godly father. My intention is to challenge all of you who are fathers to a deeper dedication to carrying out your role in your family in a way that honors God's design and in a way that builds up the church and also builds up our society. We have many fathers in our congregation. If the entire congregation were here, if I counted correctly, we'd have about 20 fathers here, unfortunately. I feel very disappointed that to bring this message when half of them roughly are missing. But also, this isn't just for fathers. Many of God's principles that apply to a father, to fathers, apply to all men. Fathers are not. Also, Without wives who love, support, and submit to godly fathers, I lost my place here. Without the, the a wife that loves and supports and submits to the godly father in the home, the role of fatherhood is significantly weakened. The influence of a father in the home can be crippled by a wife who is not supportive and refuses to submit to her husband in a godly way. Also, I want us to think, to realize, I want to recognize that not all of us have had perfect fathers. In fact, I could probably say none of us have had a perfect father. And so I don't intend for us this morning to be looking back with regret on our father and his failures, but rather to be looking at what I need to do in my own life. 
There is so much that could be said. As I studied for this, I felt like that, you know, you could preach multiple messages on this subject. And I don't want to bore you, but I feel, felt compelled to read a number of paragraphs from a book that I've been slowly working my way through for a number of months now. The book is titled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It's compiled by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. It's a compilation of a lot of works by different authors. And I'd like to read uh, several sections from chapter 23 of the book titled Where's Dad? by Weldon Hardenbrook. And I want you to keep in mind as I read this that the words that were written in this chapter of this book were written in 1987. So these statistics, and, and the one statistic I think references the year 1982, these statistics are old statistics. Things have not gotten better uh, since this time. At the, at the very beginning of creation of our world, God proclaimed that it was not good for man to be alone. And through Adam, he instituted the family as the center of human community. Throughout the historical transition of a variety of cultures, the family existed as a natural society that provided the soul of each nation and that was to be nourished and protected through fatherhood. But what is fatherhood? Author Clayton Bordeaux does a good job of defining the essence of fatherhood when he writes, the notion of responsibility is at the crux of true fatherhood. The conscience sense of responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being of others is the mark of a true father. I'm just going to read that again. The conscious sense of, a resp of responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being of others is the mark of true fatherhood. I humbly but firmly submit that the soul of our nation is in crisis in large part because American men have from ignorance and various and sometimes even subconscious reasons abandoned their God-given role of fatherhood. They have discarded the notion of being responsible for the physical and spiritual well-being of those around them. A series of historical events beginning at the Industrial Revolution, transversing the search for American independence, and the Second Great Awakening and culminating in Victorianism has had the net result of disestablishing American men from a true role of fatherhood and moral leadership in our land. The American male at one time, the ever-present guide of the close-knit colonial family, left his family for the factory and for the materialistic lure of the industrial, that the Industrial Revolution brought. The most numerous and most active members of the church, the men, who commonly debated theology in the colonial marketplace, were in time to be found arguing business practices in the tavern. The fathers who labored hard to instill the value of cooperation in their offspring in time gave their children the example of unlimited individual competition. Men who once taught their children respect and obedience toward godly authority, came to act as though independence were a national, national virtue. 
Men who once had an active hand in education of their sons relegated this responsibility to public schools to a public school system dominated by female teachers and feminine learning patterns. Once the leaders of social progress, American men came to look on social reform and mercy movements as women's work, and in time became themselves objects of that social reformation in the case of movements such as the Women's Christians Temperance Union. Over the course of 150 years from mid-century from mid-18th century to the end of the 19th century, American men walked out of their God-given responsibility for moral and spiritual leadership in the home, schools, and Sunday schools of the nation. As sociologist Lawrence Fuchs notes, the groundwork for the 20th century fatherless home was set. By the end of the 19th century, for the first time, it was socially and morally acceptable for men not to be involved with their families. Consider, then, moving on down, consider these sobering statistics. Remember, these statistics are close to 40 years old. One in every four American children has no father in the home to welcome him or her at the time of birth. Only 41% of today's children will grow up in a two-parent family. Almost a million children are left with one parent because of divorce each year. Nine out of 10 of these are with, are with their mothers. Today's children are the first generation in the country's history to think divorce and separation are a normal part of, fam of family life, says Andre Sherilyn of John Hopkins University. From 1950 to 1980, the annual rate of illegitimate births increased by a staggering 450%. The 7,000, excuse me, 715,200 children born without fathers in 1982 represented 19.4% of all births for that year. On average, American fathers gave each of their children a mere three minutes of undivided attention each day. My own 23 years of pastoral experience bear out these figures. By far, the most commonly recurring complaint I hear from married women is about phantom fathers who do not connect with their wives and children. I'd like to go in and read something he says in regards to his wife and her experience. That absence has, dramatically, has dramatic effects on our children, especially our sons. My wife has been an elementary school teacher for over 27 years. Most of this time has been spent in the special education in California schools. Who has filled her classroom year after year? Boys, 98% of her special education students have been emotionally damaged young boys whose shared characteristic is father loss. Of course, biological and chemical factors are involved in boys' problems. However, in many cases, father loss has exaggerated them. I read that to give you a window into what our world considers normal and how it has affected our society. 
you know, we can read statistics like that. And the, the, the cry of, of this, this pastor and researcher who's, who's saying that the neglect of fathers is having a tremendous negative impact upon the, the boys of our nation. And we can say, we're not there. But the truth is, if we do not make a conscious effort to not be there, if we don't make a conscious effort to follow God's design for fatherhood, we're going to end up moving more and more towards that pattern that our society shows us. And I do believe that it has already influenced us. And one way that I believe it has influenced us and it has influenced me and has affected my family is the shift towards fathers working away from home and being less involved on a day-to-day -day basis in the lives of their children. That's one of the biggest regrets I have with my family as I look back, that I couldn't, wasn't able to make work what I would have preferred in my life as far as uh, being able to be more present for my family. So society does affect us. And some of that may be beyond our control. But this morning, I want us to think about what we can do as, as fathers to be a good example and to be upright, to be what we should be for our families, for our children. I'd like to look at a number of scriptures, some scriptural examples of fathers that show us some things that we can follow, can pattern in our lives. First of all, I'd like us to consider King David. You can turn to 1 Samuel 13 if you'd like. I'm going to look at just a few scriptures this morning and turn to them if you'd like. Some of them I may read fast enough that I won't give you time to turn to. Some we will turn to. 1 Samuel 13, 14. And this is the account of Samuel coming to King Saul and telling him that because of his rebellion against God, that God was going to take the kingdom away from Saul's family and give it to someone else. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So God was saying through Samuel that I'm going to choose, I'm, going to reje I'm rejecting Saul as king over Israel, and I am choosing a man who is after my own heart, after God's own heart. Paul also referenced that when he spoke of Israel's history in Acts 13, he said, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, 
which shall fulfill all my will. So that was, uh, that was God's testimony of, of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. Now we know that David was a man that had many failures in his life. And in fact, there is scriptural evidence that David himself was not a very good father. So we know that he was far from perfect. But so, so if he was so far from perfect, how could God, David be a man after God's own heart? We need to remember that this statement here is in context of the kingship, in context of Saul's rebellion against going, doing things God's way, and stating that David would be a man who would follow God's way as king. David was a man who was dedicated as a leader to following and doing things according to God's way and God's will for his people. Commentator Adam Clark points out that David paid strict attention to the worship of God and to following his laws. David never tried to alter or change anything in God's laws and how, how worship was performed, unlike others of his uh, successors. David ruled the kingdom of Israel as if God were the king, and he was just simply acting as God's agent. As king, David acted to fulfill God's will for the people. Not, it wasn't David's kingship, it was God's people, it was God's kingdom, and he was just simply acting as leader. <clears throat> so I see a challenge in that for us today as fathers. As a father, God has set you up as the king or the leader of your home. But whose authority is, is the home really under? Do we as fathers have the rights to call the shots, so to speak? We can pattern our lives as fathers after the pattern of King, of King Saul, who refused to submit to God, who constantly seemed like he was pushing the line and, and trying to do things his way instead of God's way. Or we can pattern it after King David and after his devotion to following God's way wholeheartedly. Are we willing as fathers to submit to God, to the authority of his word and the authority of his church? Or do we persist in charting a course after our own will? Another aspect of David being a man after God's own heart is that if we are, 
if we are a man after God's own heart, we will work diligently to develop a close relationship with God. And I believe that that close relationship with God was really the difference between King Saul and King David. David had cultivated a relationship to the point that he loved the Lord and he had a desire to serve Him and obey Him and do things God's way. And I believe that Saul did not have that close relationship with God. So how do we cultivate a close relationship with God and striving to be a man after God's own heart? It takes time and it takes dedication. We have to be willing to pursue it. We have to be willing to set aside time to read God's word, to pray, to, to fellowship, to, at church, to come to church, to be taught, to learn of Him. Develop, cultivating a deep relationship with God is not something that happens accidentally. It must be purposefully done. We're promised that if we pursue that relationship with God, that we're going to be rewarded. I like 1 Chronicles 15.2. There's an account there where the prophet Azariah went out to meet King Asa. And he said this, he said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So I think it's clear we can't expect to be under God's blessing and have a close relationship with him unless we are diligently pursuing that relationship and actively seeking him. And you know, Scripture doesn't necessarily give us a specific formula of, of how we're to seek God. But we must be dedicated to taking the time, to laying aside the time to do it. And I don't think we can stress enough the importance of having a daily devotional time with God, spending time with Him and His Word, if we're going to be men after God's own heart. Also, fathers, along that line, I ask, do your children know that your deepest desire is to know God and to be, excuse me, and to be a man after God's own heart? Or do they first and foremost see us pursuing earthly things, materialistic things? What they observe is going to make a tremendous impact in their lives. Because what they see in us is going to affect what they pursue in life and how they chart a course for their lives. Another father I'd like us to consider, you can turn to Job chapter 1. I'd like to consider the example of Job. 
Job 1, verses 4 and 5. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, and when the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Here we see that Job had a deep concern for the spiritual well-being of his children. He had a concern that his children's uh, that things were right between his children and God. Now, I don't fully understand everything that's, that's talked about here in this passage as far as the sanctification and the sacrifice, but it's obvious that Job was actively seeking a, the, the spiritual good of his children. Seeking for them to be in a right standing with God. And I ask, what are you doing for your children, for their spiritual good? What is your level of concern for them spiritually? And what example are you setting for them? I like to liken what Job did here is to a father taking time to pray for his children. And we should be praying for our children. We should be praying not just for their individual and their and personal needs, but we should be praying for their spiritual needs. That relate, they would have a relationship with God and that things would be right between them and God. We should be praying that God would protect them from Satan and that he would protect them from bad and evil influences. So fathers, are you taking time to pray for your children? Along with that, you know, a lot of these examples tie together. But along with that, what about your personal devotional life? Do your children know that daily... You set time aside to pray for them, for others, to read God's Word. It's a tremendous example. I believe Job was setting an example for his children here. I believe that, that they knew that this was something that their father did for them. We need to not only pray, but we need to be setting an example by what we do. We don't necessarily need to have our personal daily devotions in front of our children, but they should be aware that we give God priority. We also should, as fathers, be leading out in our home in family worship. I don't believe that what Job did here was really family worship, but it was, it was worship that was focused on the family and the needs of the family. But we should be setting aside time for our families to gather together and, and, and look at God's word and worship 
And again, I don't have specific ways that we necessarily need to do that. But, you know, with young children, read from a good Bible story book. Help them to learn those good foundational Bible stories and truths. Sing with them. Maybe as they get a little older, you can use a devotional book or just simply read from God's Word and talk about it. You know, there's a number of things that tells your children if you do that. It tells them that things of God are important and that they're important to you. And it tells them that you have a love for those things of God and a desire to learn more of God and to learn more from His Word. And it tells them that your family is dedicated to serving the Lord. Like Joshua said, for me and, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That you're, you're, you're setting an example that this is what our family does because we love and serve the Lord. I'd like to look at one more example briefly. Example of Abraham. Abraham was a father that was far from perfect as well. And I find that interesting that, that some of these godly examples we, we like to hold up had so many character flaws or problems in their life, things they did wrong. But yet there's so much that we can learn. We can learn from Abraham's example of faith as he followed God's command to go to leave the country where he grew up and go to another land that he didn't know anything about. We can talk about his example of faith as he obeyed God when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, on the altar. But what I want to think about this morning is that there is a notable verse where God gave a remarkable testimony about Abraham. Genesis 18:19. this was uh, when, when the angels had come and they were going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what the Lord said about Abraham. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. God is saying, I know Abraham and his character. I know what he, how he is going to guide his family and how he is going to pass on the faith to his family and God is saying that because of that, I am going to be able to bring upon Abraham all of the blessings that I promised. We talked about faith in our Sunday school lesson. But Abraham had a faith that was so deep and so real that he would pass it on to his family. It was a faith that worked. 
there's a lot of people who we might say they're people of faith, but I've seen it again and again. That faith dies with that person. They fail to pass it on to the next generation. But not Abraham. He had a faith that was so strong that it passed on to his children and grandchildren and on down through the generations. So I ask, as a father, how is your faith? Are you like Abraham? Do you have a faith that is so firm that you're determined to pass it on to your children and your grandchildren? You know, we can't force our faith upon the next generation. But how we exercise our faith is going to have a significant impact on their lives and is going to mold them into godly men and women of faith. Abraham, why, why did Abraham's, why was he able to pass his faith on like he did? I believe it was because he, Abraham exercised his faith in a way that impacted his family. Did you ever think about the life-long, life-altering effect that Abraham's faith had upon Isaac when Isaac didn't look this up but I think commentators believe Isaac was around 12 years old when God told Abraham to sacrifice him on the altar and he went so far as to put the wood on the altar and lay his son bind his son and lay him there on the altar and was ready to take his life when God said don't I was, I was testing you to see if you would obey. Can you imagine the lifelong impact that that had on his son, that his dad acted with that much faith and obedience to God? Abraham had a faith that impacted his family. And true faith today will still cause us as fathers to make decisions that will impact our families in ways that will have lasting effects. Now these three biblical examples of fathers don't give us a complete framework for being a good father. But I believe that if we embrace these principles they're going to give us a good start. We need to be men after God's own heart. We need to be completely devoted to Him and have deep concern for our families, especially for their spiritual welfare. And we need to have a strong faith that impacts our families and that we pass on to the next generation. getting lost in my notes here. But there's another important scriptural teaching that is going to greatly imp impact the effect that, or the, the, the impact that we have as fathers on our families. And I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
this passage is specifically speaking of the relationship to husbands and wives, but there's, there's a principle here that we need to look at. Ephesians 5, <clears throat> verse 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. So this passage is speaking of the relationship of a husband to his wife. And calling the husband to, to a sacrificial love that mirrors that of Christ's love for the church. Christ gave everything for the church. Christ left heaven. He left, he left the Father. He left the glories of heaven. He came to earth in a lowly setting. He didn't live in a well-to-do family. He lived in a time of political oppression And he gave his life. He was rejected by many people and gave his life in a, in, a, in a painful, terrible way. Jesus sacrificed everything for the church. And we're called here to do the same for our wives. And I believe an extension of that, we are called to do that for our families as well. We're called to sacrifice. Remember what I read earlier on the, the uh, writer expressing the great tragedy of absentee fathers and the effect that it's having our, on our society? This principle of sacrifice that is laid out here for, for godly husbands and I believe fathers as well is the antidote to the absentee father, to the father who puts little effort into his home and his family. As a father, I ask, are you willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to sacrifice for the good of your family? What if that means that you aren't as success, successful financially as what you could be? What if it means that you miss out on some fun adventures with your friends? What if it means that you never shot an elk or a grizzly bear or whatever your dream might be? You know, we have men who are pursuing those types of things, fun with their guys, 
trophy hunting or whatever. It's not just that. But we have men, and it's creeping into our circles, that are pursuing those things at the expense of their families. Are you willing to sacrifice for, the, for your family? If we're going to be successful fathers, we must embrace sacrifice. Sacrifice is the reason that, that Abraham was such a notable man, such a notable father. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his homeland to go to a new country when God asked. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the best of the land because that's what Lot wanted. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because that's what God asked him to do. You know, Abraham sacrificed a lot, but we're still reaping the rewards today because the Lord that we serve was descended from Abraham in an earthly sense. So Abraham's, Abraham's sacrifice, if he would have shrunk back, where would things in the world be today? Where would, where would you and I be? And so I say again, as fathers, we must embrace sacrifice. We need to move beyond ourselves and elevate the good of our families and our mind and be willing to sacrifice as needed for their good. <clears throat> I want to read again that definition from the book, What the Mark of True Fatherhood Is. The conscious sense of responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being of others is the mark of true fatherhood. So if you're a father, whether you like it or not, this is what you're called to. You're called to have a sense of responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being of your family. Neglect of that responsibility does not absolve you of the responsibility. But it will have a significant negative effect on your family. And in turn, it will have a negative effect on the church and on this part of society that you live in. But if we embrace the responsibility to be dedicated fathers, sacrificial fathers, dedicated to following the Lord, to be men after God's own heart, if you embrace that, you'll face many sacrifices like Abraham, but I can trust, I can, I can assure you that your family and yourself will be richly rewarded and God will be honored. So God bless you, fathers, as you go forth and serve the Lord and serve your family.